You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Griffiths, joined by Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins. We will preview Sunday's Colts Raiders showdown, a 4.05 kickoff broadcast here locally in central Indiana on CBS 4. Some significant wild card implications in this game, and for the Colts in particular. Uh, we'll break down the game, keys to the game, make for some predictions, but we will start things off with a little bit of news, and this is the week that across the NFL, all teams, all 32 teams, announced their nominees for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, given to one player for uh, exceptional community service and excellence in the field. And uh, for the Colts, the, uh, the nominee for the franchise this year is quarterback Jacoby Brissett. And Brissett has been a pillar of community service. Um, like, I've seen, we've seen him for the past several years. He's always out on that community Monday or Tuesday, whatever the day was, that the Colts are out there doing stuff. And just uh, kind of taking that to another level this year has uh, organized some uh, community events down in his hometown of Riviera Beach, Florida, uh, initiated um, some get-togethers between local law enforcement and the community. Uh, he did a 500-meal event for families over Thanksgiving, uh, was, did some stuff with Indianapolis Public Schools, helping uh, create Internet hotspots for students. Uh, Mike, out of all the players on the Colts, I think is. Yeah, it was pretty obvious that Jacoby, Jacoby is one of those who is who is most deserving of this honor, and there he is. He uh, he gets the Colts nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Yeah, I think in this situation, knowing how uh, committed the Colts are, the players are to the community, he had a lot of competition, and to be the one that they picked really says something. And again, Anthony Walker and and Kenny Moore and Jack Doyle, all these guys do so much. Uh, but it just kind of shows you how when your teammates select you to be that guy, uh, it just shows you their their uh, admiration for what you do and what you do. And, and his, his contributions are so expansive, whether it's voting, whether it's, you know, giving kids bikes, whether it's trying to connect the community with law enforcement. Uh, he's one of those that, that he, he remembers where he came from. And giving back, and it's whether it's here in Florida, it's really genuine to see players remember where they came from, and, and when you make it, give back, and that, that's just what you do. Joe, it's not always we see uh, we see a backup quarterback in the NFL with the type of clout, I guess you could put it, that Jacoby Brissett has with his team, but it, but it's obvious his teammates respect him, and he is he he is a, a leader on this team, certainly. Uh, in the locker room, and as we see through through this honor, uh, outside the locker room as well. Yeah, you know, when they first signed Rivers, I was very curious as to how this whole thing was would work out. You know, he was their leader last season as a starting quarterback, um, kind of sprung upon him and then kind of took a back seat when Rivers was signed. But from, you know, all accounts, everything's worked great. Brissett has been um, uh, just a g- great character in the locker room, right in the community, and very deserving of the award. I hope he gets it. Uh, the former uh, the Colts nominee last year for this award, Pierre Desir, is now uh, on the uh, Ravens roster. Um, out of uh, the the history of this award, the Colts have won it twice, and that was uh, Peyton Manning back in two thousand five won this award, and Johnny Unitas in nineteen seventy uh, won the award. It is, I mean, out of out of all thirty two teams in the NFL, you get one uh, who uh, exemplifies uh, the uh, the highest uh, values, uh, of, um, of community service and, uh, and excellence on the field as well. So there are obviously 31 other candidates that are, are out there that have done some great work themselves, but, uh, certainly congrats to Jacoby Brissett for, for receiving this honor, probably the, the most significant honor within the franchise that, that a player can get in terms of that, that includes their, their off the field contributions, uh, as well. Um, so, uh, more news around the league this week, nothing too significant in terms of, um, in terms of the the national pandemic, but the Bears are working remotely this Thursday as we uh, tape this podcast after a positive COVID nine test within the franchise and process of identifying some close contacts. Uh, nothing too significant there. But uh, the other thing that was earlier this week, I guess, was the just the decision the NFL made to continue on the Tuesday night game between the Ravens and the Cowboys. 
after Des Bryant was basically pulled off the field uh, during or right before warmups while he was out there kind of uh, getting, getting used to the lay of the land, so to speak, because there were inconclusive tests and then had, a, uh, I think, a point, uh, an, on, an on-site test that I think came back positive, I think is how it, how it went down. But um, Mike, uh, thankfully, nothing too, too crazy this week, but after the last couple of weeks we've had with games on, games pushed back to, to Tuesdays or Wednesdays, or multiple games on Monday night. I, I think that I, I would very much uh, appreciate, as as with every team in the in the NFL right now, very much appreciate a quote unquote regular week in terms of Sunday games, Monday games, and then hopefully we can get on to uh, to the next week of the season. Yeah, because you never know what the next week will bring. Exactly. And the more you know, again, I'm not so certain that the Bears haven't had the all clear and they're back in their building. I don't think so. Yeah. But, but but still, it, it it just shows you how there's disruptions. And I still, I'm still very, not even cautiously optimistic that, that this thing can go smoothly. Because you look what's happening in in college football, college basketball. It, it's it's to me, it just further exemplifies how the NFL has done this, uh, trying to control control the uncontrollable. So again, until this thing really blows up on them, kudos to them for getting this far with so few disruptions. Yeah, we, we don't need to break down everything that's gone on in the Big Ten over this week, though I'm sure Joe, the uh, the IU guy that he is, is, is shedding a tear right now as to uh, the, the Hoosiers' postseason chances and also the uh, the lack of the opportunity to to whip up on Purdue as well in the uh, in, in the bucket game. But, uh, Joe, I am sorry for, for your loss and the Hoosiers' loss. Yeah, I, I wonder if roles were reversed if they would have changed the rules for IU. Well, you know, here, here, here's here's the deal, and, and all, and and I understand completely people saying that this is all we'll talk about with with the IU situation with Ohio State going to the Big Ten championship. But if the rules were completely reversed, like IU was fourth in the college football playoff and Ohio State was twelfth, just muddling back there, not able to come up. I think the Big Ten would do the exact same thing if the roles were reversed. It's not just because it's Ohio State and Indiana. It's because of their place and their consideration by the college football playoff committee. Ohio State needs all the clout it can get to secure that spot in the top four. And if they don't have a game that's a Big Ten championship game, they have less of a say, less of a concrete say, we will we'll put it, to that top four spot. So Indiana did not look like they were going to make it up there. Because they were at 12, they beat Wisconsin as a double-digit underdog, and still got no more respect. They still stayed at 12. If that same thing happened to Ohio State, I'd like, I, I, don't th- I don't think that the Big Ten would put them in the championship. They would go to Indiana, who is the, who is the top four, as like doing a true role reversal here. Like, like I said, Joe, I understand people's frustration. And it and IU is is really they got hit hard by this, and it's it's awful for them and for their fans. But I completely understand why the Big Ten made the decision it did. It just it's just uh, unfortunate. I get I, I understand it too. I get it from their standpoint, but from a Hoosier fan totally. standpoint, it's like what do we have to do? Yeah, get so, like you said, we beat Wisconsin and yep. we're considered underdogs. Like, give us some respect. Come on. Yep. No respect. I I I, I got it. I, I I get that. So now we'll go back to the Colts. That that was one minute. And that's all we'll spend <laughs> on that. I promise. This is a Colts Blue Zone podcast. For playing more on, uh, on on the Indiana and the Big Ten, you can head over to fox59.com, cbs4.com uh, to, to check that out. But uh, we'll get to the injury report for this week for the Colts and the Raiders. Uh, the Colts had a uh, rather full injury report from Wednesday, as is usual this time of the season. Quarterback Phillip Rivers did not practice on Wednesday with a toe injury, but that's the same thing he's done the past couple weeks. And a word at Colts headquarters today is Rivers did appear out of practice. Perhaps more significantly, guys, uh, is the return of left tackle Anthony Costanzo to practice. He did not practice on Wednesday, but is out there today, again, according to multiple reports for people who are, who are there. Um, so, Mike, we, we've been waiting to see when exactly Costanzo would come back. I think we talked earlier, uh, a couple podcasts ago, that there was some optimism that it would be sooner rather than later, simply because Costanzo did not go on injured reserve. But there he is, uh, and uh, the Colts will now have to see if he can ramp it up in just a couple days and be ready for Sunday's game and a road trip to Vegas. Yeah, IR means three games minimum. Right. Uh, the fact they didn't put him on there made, it, it made you think it was maybe two games, and now it may be one game. 
what we always need to, I'm, I'm guessing he'll be limited today. And then you hope the, the knee responds favorably and he's full tomorrow and he plays on Sunday. And we've talked about it and you can't overstate this offense is not the same without him. It just isn't. You know, they, they got through last game. Uh, and keep in mind that, that his situation was, was compounded with Raven Clark tearing his Achilles and being out for the season. So now you're down to Chaz Green, who, by all standards last week, didn't play well uh, because he's a, he's a number three tackle. And they, they've apparently claimed, is it Will Holden? A yes. tackle from the, uh, not claimed. Maybe it was a cla- I claim. I think they signed him off the practice off squad. Of, off of Baltimore's practice squad. Uh, but but the chances of of you bringing a guy in the end of the week and having him practice today or tomorrow and then playing on Sunday is remote attack. Also, get Costanzo out there, and and he's not going to play unless he's effective enough. You know, he's not going to be a hundred percent. But uh, again, the fact that he's back this quickly is great news, and it gives some stability. You hope to the offensive line that needs it. And compound the issues of tackle is a limited participation in practice on Wednesday from right tackle Braden Smith as well with a groin injury. Uh, Joe, as you put it here, the Colts can can ill afford to lose a, another tackle with how many have gone gone on so far. But uh, switching back to what, what Mike said about Costanzo, I, I, I don't think right now as we tape on Thursday – the Colts know one way or the other whether Costanzo will play on Sunday. I think, as Mike said, like this is going to be a trial. It's probably going to be a limited participation out there today. And then tomorrow they'll be able to evaluate, see how his knee does. Maybe they ramp it up to full. Maybe they keep it at limited. We'll see. But uh, I think they're trying to see, hey, the, the, how far has the knee come? Are we able to get some more action on it as the week progresses? Uh, this is just kind of the first step in seeing if, in fact, Costanzo is able to return. And if he returns this weekend, that is certainly sooner than we, sooner than I thought he could, which would be great news for uh, for Philip Rivers and that line. Joe, you're muted. You muted yourself, Joe. What are you doing? I don't even know how I did that. Neither do I. <laughs> All of a sudden, your lips started moving, and you weren't saying anything. <laughs> well, as I was saying, I'll, I guess I'll say it again now. <laughs> I completely expected, <laughs> yeah, I completely expected Costanzo to miss multiple weeks with this type of MCL injury. And I guess the other thing, it, it'd be great if he's back out there. But the other thing the Colts need to weigh is the risk of a re-injury. You know, they they want Costanzo for the long term. They're trying to make a playoff push and a playoff run. So I guess they just have to weigh both how effective he could be on Sunday and the risk of re-injuring that knee that uh, he hurt a couple weeks ago. Well, yeah, one thing, sir. one thing about one thing about that, they will not put him back out there if, if there's a good chance of re-injuring it. Again, that's sometimes fans say you push these guys, but they're very cautious, and the Colts maybe more so than any team. If you're not ready, you don't play. And as much as Costanza wants to play. He, he the, the knee will be sound enough to play to where he's not risking. I, I, I think I'm safe in saying more injury, but if he's out there, he's ready to play. Let's run down a few more uh, notes from the Colts injury report on Wednesday. Thursdays will come out a little bit later. You can follow us online on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to get the latest updates about injuries, practices, signings when they become official. As Mike said, the Colts uh, reportedly will sign Will Holden from the uh, practice squad of the Ravens. And that report is from uh, Holden himself, as he posted on Instagram, uh, that he is going to the Colts. But anyway, from Wednesday's practice report, safety Kari Willis did not participate, had a back and a quad injury that forced him out of last week's game in Houston. Also, defensive lineman Tyquan Lewis missed Wednesday's practice uh, with a hip injury. So those were all the players who were out. Uh, linebacker Bobby Okariki was at practice, a limited participant with an ankle injury. He missed Houston's game as well, so it's good to see him back on the field. Linebacker Anthony Walker, a limited participant with ribs as well. Um, and defensive end Kamoko Ture, uh, limited with his ankle. And the Colts, have, I think he's been limited participant quite a bit just because he's still working back from, uh, quote-unquote, working back from the ankle injury all of last year. So you put him on the injury report as a limited participant um, just to kind of take it easy on that, an- uh, on that ankle. So um, all eyes, though, on, on the offensive line right now, uh, Mike. And if, if they, everyone else, like, those are all – Injuries that uh, that are certainly significant in some way, shape, or form, but but there, there's nothing that compares to the 
the the status at, at tackle when uh, as uh, this Raiders game looms. I think that's one where you a trainer go or maybe a coach goes to uh, Braden Smith and says, "You do not have a groin injury. You will you will play." But I think I think he was out there today. Uh, one thing that we that we all pay attention to the participation slash injury report, but when you get to November and December, they really take it easy on guys. They 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 they, they do. We see rest days at least once a week for the Justin Houston's and people like that. So they they really go easy on guys wanting to get them to uh, Sunday. We were talking with Frank Reich about Philip Rivers and, and his turf toe, and somebody mentioned, "Well, boy, you guys ought to be really you know it's inspiring that he that he plays through this and how the team draws inspiration." And Frank sort of said yes. But he said, you know, a lot of guys go through a lot of things. It seemed like that Philip Rivers was the only one doing this. Uh, fr- from all my years covering this team, see what guys deal with and, and play with. When we used to be in the locker room <laughs> pre-COVID, uh, during a lot during practice week, got, I mean, ice and, and ace bandages. That's all you see these guys wearing. And if the average fan could simply – see and appreciate what these guys go through. Stand on the sideline for 20 minutes of a, of a game and, and feel the collisions and the contact, and you wonder how somebody's not on the ground every play. So whatever people think about these guys, their ability to deal with with pain and injury, and, and this is really, truly amazing. Let's touch on a few injuries for the Raiders entering this week as well. Running back Josh Jacobs did not practice on Wednesday, which would be a big blow to their offense. He missed last week's game against the Jets that, honestly, they should have lost. And I know you guys talked about this on Monday's podcast, so I won't get too much into it. But there, there was no excuse for the Raiders to win that game of the Jet, over the Jets. So um, safety Jeff Heath also out with a concussion. He leads the team with three interceptions. So as we know, if you did not practice on Wednesday, just your time is limited in just being able to work your way through concussion protocol, whether you're going to be able to get back on Sunday or not. Um, Damon Arnett uh, did not participate in practice on Wednesday, their first a first-round pick in 2020 at cornerback with a concussion and a neck injury, so same deal. Uh, safety Jonathan Abram limited on Wednesday with a knee injury. He missed last week's game against the Jets, so certainly encouraging for the Raiders to see him back. Uh, defensive tackle Maurice Hurst limited with a calf injury. And uh, one of the most significant uh, parts of their injury report is a full participant, uh, as Trent Brown, uh, practiced with the first team offense for the first time in more than a month, uh, working his way back from COVID. That would be a significant boost to the Raiders' offensive line if he returns. And uh, Joe, I think in spite of the presence of a former Colt named Denzel Good on this Raiders' offensive line, um, I think Colts fans might be surprised to, uh, to see just or surprised to hear about how, how pretty good this, this Raiders line is. They're probably one of the best lines in, um, in the NFL that the Colts defense will have to face this week. Yeah, I think they're, you know... You Especially if, they're, the, if Trent Brown is back, is the point I was trying to make. Yes, continue. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, they've held out, you know, obviously Trent Brown will give them a big boost, but they've held out pretty good even without him. They still have one of the better offensive lines in the league. When completely healthy, I think they're everyone's idea of a top five offensive line from left tackle all the way through to right tackle. Rodney Hudson's one of the best centers in the NFL. So, you know, it's going to be strength on strength between the Colts defensive line and the Raiders offensive line. And once again, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to get all the uh, injury updates leading up to kickoff Sunday at 4.05 p.m. Also, Mike Chappell at mchappell 51 I am Dave Griffiths at DaveG underscore sports, and Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. So let's get to the game preview. The 8-4 and four Colts take on the 7-5 and five Raiders. And as I mentioned before, this is a significant game for both teams in terms of playoff seeding. And the Colts are in 7th right now in the AFC, one spot ahead of the Raiders in 8th. The Ravens are right behind them at 7-5, and five, tied with the Raiders, um, but just behind them in terms of, um, of tie-breaking scenarios. So, um, Mike... This is perhaps, well, every game right now, because of the position you're in, is significant for the Colts. But just based on the other teams around them in the wild card race, you have the Dolphins, the Browns, the Ravens, the Raiders. 
Colts have lost to the Ravens and the Browns. They're not going to play the Dolphins. So if you lose to three of the other four teams, if the, you could perchance lose this game to the Raiders, I, you would lose. You would have the tiebreaker. You would not have the tiebreaker against three of those other four teams, which is a situation you don't want to be in. So I think that's that's the most significant part of this um, of this weekend is because of those losses before earlier in the season to other wild card teams who are in that hunt. You can ill afford to lose this game if you're the Colts against another team competing for the wild card. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go as far to say is is the winner makes the wild card and the loser doesn't. I mean, things happen. I sort of think Miami might be the one fades. They get a really tough schedule to close out. Uh, I I kind of think if the Colts Colts get to ten and six, they get in. But the tiebreak we we talked about this. The, the tiebreakers, none of them will favor the Colts uh, if it gets down to that. So. Win this week, and I think your chances go up to eighty or ninety percent. And then you, you know, if you win against Houston, then you've got Jacksonville to close with. But uh, it's hard to. This has been such a screwy year. We're sitting watching that uh, the Colts Houston game, and you can't help but notice Cleveland laying thirty eight on the Titans in the first half. And that's a Titans team that laid 35 on the Colts in the first half. And you've got the Raiders, who, who were, what, uh, six and four, and they get rolled by the Atlanta. I mean, absolutely rolled. And they should have lost to the Jets. So they're not exactly trending in the right direction. But all it takes is one week to get you out of your funk. And it, it, it's not must win, but it's would be a pretty good idea to win Sunday for these guys. Both offenses rank pretty similarly in the NFL. The Colts are 10th in points per game. The Raiders are 11th, so they're right behind them, both averaging around 27 points per game. The Colts are 13th in yards per game. The Raiders are 15th in yards per game. Both, as we mentioned, have strong offensive lines. Uh, the Colts have the third fewest sacks allowed in the NFL with 15. The Raiders have a few more at 21, but are still in the top 10 in the NFL in sacks allowed. And with the return of Trent Brown, as we mentioned, that would just give them another boost. So offensively, I think very similar teams in terms of um, what they're able to do. And especially, Joe, that's the case if Josh Jacobs is on. Uh, obviously, without him the past couple weeks, the offense hasn't been quite what it is supposed to be. As a second-year kid out of Alabama, Jacobs has proven that, that he's a pretty dangerous, a pretty good running back, and he can shoulder a, a pretty big workload for them. Yeah, he's near the top of the NFL in terms of broken tackles since he's entered the league. He's a guy who's just really tough to bring down to the ground. Um, if you're going to keep comparing the teams, he's kind of like their, their uh, Jonathan Taylor in their backfield, except you know a little more accomplished at this point in his career because he's been around longer. He has a thousand yard season under his belt. But he's kind of the, 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 the power back who does have some shiftiness and a little bit of speed, but he'll run you over at any opportunity. And last week, uh, filling in for Jacobs, Devontae Booker, who would kind of be the Naheem Hines again, if we're continuing the uh, the comparison. I would uh, say he, Wilkins. Oh, you you think so? I think uh, I think Booker. Okay, if you want, I would to, say he'd be fine. the Wilkins, and then Jalen Rashard would be Naheem Hines. Fine, we'll we'll, we'll go with that. But uh, Booker had just 50 yards on 16 carries last week, but he averages five yards per carry on the year in a um in more of a fill-in role. So he's much better in that uh, the change of pace or come in to give Jacobs a little spell. Um, there, the Raiders are top 10 in the, uh, in the NFL in rushing, which the Colts cannot say that yet, even though we've seen a little bit of promise when Jonathan Taylor was playing the past couple weeks, um, we've seen him, uh, start to turn things on a little bit. So, um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that matches up come Sunday. Uh, but a quarterback, um, the, the Raiders have a very efficient quarterback in Derek Carr. He's completing 68% of his pass. He has 22 touchdowns to just five interceptions. You're not going to write home at all about 263 yards per game. Uh, but, Mike, nevertheless, you look at just the, the change between 22 touchdowns, five interceptions, and, and you're looking at a guy in car who doesn't make mistakes too often. And uh, when he does, you're going to have to be able to take advantage of them just because those opportunities aren't going to come by too much. Well, this, and this is a totally different quarterback than what they saw last week. I mean, Deshaun Watson extends and holds it and, and looks. Carr is more that uh, rhythmic quick drop, get rid of it. Uh, so there may not be as many sack opportunities. We were talking to uh, Justin Houston about it, who's faced him a lot. And he said, Carr is a guy that you can really disrupt 
by getting pressure up the middle. Well, hello to Forrest Buckner and Grover Stewart. So uh, it's really either get pressure on him early or tighten your coverage, which I'm not sure the Colts would would go the route where they would tighten up their coverage. Uh, but th- this is a totally different quarterback they're facing. They could have had 10, 11, 12 sacks against any other quarterback last week than Deshaun Watson. And it just, again, it should, we, Joe and I talked about it. Uh, if anyone had any question about the value of DeForest Buckner, and was, was he worth giving up the 13th pick and $84 million? Uh Yeah, he was. No doubt about it. And, and I'll, I'll add to that, and, and Joe, I'll, I'll add to that. Like, I love watching last week's defensive game plan because I love seeing Kenny Moore come off the edge because that's my guy, man. When you bring that corner blitz, that just, like, you see him creeping up to the line. You're like, ah, here they come. This is going to be a fun play. Oh, yeah. He was my pick for defensive player of the week. I mean, he had such a good game. He uh, knocking the passes away on two would-be touchdowns. He had the interception when Watson hadn't thrown an interception in 200-some pass attempts. So, I mean, Kenny Moore continues to be one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. Valdosta State Pride, stand up, Southern Georgia. The top target for Derek Carr is tight end Darren Waller. Uh, He has 77 catches on the year for 742 yards and seven touchdowns. And boy, he, he just rocked the Jets last week with 13 catches, 200 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, becomes just the second tight end in NFL history to have 10-plus receptions for 200 yards and two touchdowns in the game, in a game, joining Shannon Sharp, the former Denver Bronco great. Um, Other weapons include wide receiver Hunter Renfro, slot receiver who has the second-most catches on the team with 43. So, I mean, from 77 down to 43, that's a pretty big disparity between one and two. Uh, But you can't sleep on a couple of deep threats either. Nelson Aguilar, when he catches the ball, is really good. But uh, he has had drop issues uh, in the past, made, made famous by viral videos for uh, men catching things out of burning buildings in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, and also Henry Ruggs, the first wide receiver taken in April's draft, uh, who's just a burner. And we talked, we talked about Ruggs a little bit in uh, some of our podcasts leading up to uh, the draft since we knew the Colts needed a receiver. Didn't think Ruggs was going to make it all the way down to them. Uh, we're optimistic that maybe he could because I, I think, Joe, from what I remember, we both love Ruggs because, A, he's fast, and, B, he's got these huge hands that, uh, that, are, that are pretty strong. And uh, he's, he's, he's showcasing that he can be a legitimate deep threat in the NFL this year with the Raiders. Oh, yeah. I love those big hands, and he makes big plays. He only has 20 catches on the season, so he's not quite eligible for the yards per catch statistic when, you know, ranking with the top players in the league. But he's averaging 19.8. So when he does catch it, it's deep down the field. And he was one who caught the Hail Mary for the Raiders to win over the Jets last Sunday. So he's a guy who, you know, he hasn't had a major impact on the season, two touchdowns, but you still have to worry about him because uh, he can get down there in a hurry. And he's also a guy who's drawn several of those deep pass interference calls as well. And here, here's the only thing I'll add to uh, your, um, I'm, I'm sure, what was your uh, rousing discussion on Greg Williams and that, um, uh, what's it called, that, that zero blitz. Like, if you're going to call the zero blitz there, I understand. It's not, it's not completely unfounded. It's not completely ridiculous. But if you call it, your cornerback can't let Henry Ruggs get behind him. I don't care if you need to give him a 20-yard cushion at the snap. That was played terribly by that cornerback facing one of the fastest dudes in the NFL. So Greg Williams has to fall on the axe and get fired for that call, but his players did not execute it well at all. And if one guy just takes five yards step five yards further back at the snap, then we're talking about a Raiders team that is in full implosion mode right now with losses to the Falcons and the Jets back-to-back. It's funny how one play can hinge, you know, one the, the storylines of a season can hinge on one play. And we're talking about the Jets' first win of the season. But, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Greg Williams being fired. But I, I just thought that I thought that, that that corner, whoever that was, and I don't know who it was, but deserves to be thrown under the bus a little bit right there. And that's something that, that I hadn't heard at all. Like anyone. Yeah, why, why you're biting on a double move when if the guy wants to run an out pattern, let him. Yep. But it's funny, though. I, I would I, I I never would have called that. I'm not a coordinator, mm-hmm. but but 
it's funny. I was listening to uh, Pat McAfee. He had, I think it was McAfee. He had Antoine Bethay on. And Antoine Bethay said, if, if my DC had called that play, I would have, I would have checked out of it. I would have changed the play. Well, how many players have the onion? Uh, the clout. So yeah. all you all you got to do is play coverage. One more play. Now, it was a great throw, but 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 having said that, that, you're right to have that corner bite on a on a on a quick move made zero sense. If you if that guy wants to catch an out for 15 yards, knock yourself out. But again, one play, uh, this game wouldn't have nearly nearly the playoff ramifications had the Jets won their first game. Anyway, uh, moving on in this uh, analysis of the Las Vegas Raiders, their 12 fumbles are second most in the NFL. So, Joe, we talked about, um, what's his name, Derek Carr not really turning the ball over too much, at least with interceptions, but uh, you you can get in there and you can strip the ball when you're playing the Raiders. So I imagine uh, Darius Leonard, who has a pretty famous strip against the Raiders, in fact, in his career from his rookie year a couple years ago in Oakland, that was, uh, to kind of turn the tide of that game a couple years ago. Uh, they'll, They'll be going for the ball again this week. Oh, yeah. You know the coaches are pointing that stat out to him. And Darius Leonard, probably not even going to impact how he's going to play at all. He goes for that strip every time or nearly every time anyway. So, But that, that's certainly an area where the Colts can take advantage and uh, make some big plays on defense. Jerry, if you look, go ahead, Mike. Derek Carr has eight lost fumbles. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming that's in the pocket so people get around him and things happen. But And, and this defense, again, if Carr just holds it just long enough, I like the chance of this defensive front getting getting to him. And like you say, the way they bring Kenny, uh, Kenny Moore, uh, maybe we're seeing this this pass rush starting to get its legs. Uh, again, Justin Houston was really kind of good the other day where he, he was very critical of himself about his consistency. You know, sort of not being there a lot of games, but he thinks that one game, maybe like with a T.Y. can really get him going for this this playoff push. The Las Vegas defense is certainly not consistent. If anything, it's consistently uh, unimpressive. They have allowed the fifth most points per game in the NFL, averaging nearly 29 points given up. Uh, they're allowing the 11th most yards as well. They're not really getting after the quarterback too much, only 15 sacks, which is the third fewest in the league, and coincidentally is the same number the Colts have given up this year. Um, Second-year defensive end, Max Crosby, has six sacks. No one else has more than two. So he's certainly their most uh, obvious threat to get after the quarterback. But, uh, Mike, advantage Colts' offensive line or Colts' offense when it comes to facing the Raiders' defense for sure. This isn't, this isn't exactly a strength-on-strength showing here. It's a, it's a, um, a top-ten Colts offense in the NFL facing a bottom-five defense in the league. So you would expect them to be able to put up some points this week. Yeah, it's funny. About a, two or three weeks ago, we talked about that I had total faith in the Colts' defense, and I wasn't buying. The, I didn't trust the Colts' offense yet. I'm starting to trust them. Mm-hmm. Since the Cleveland game, Rivers has really got his act together. I think he's got 14 touchdowns and four interceptions and almost 100 rating. And when he plays that level, they're not bad. I'm so. I don't think they're Kansas City good. They're not. They're not there yet. But when they play like that and can mix in the running game, maybe we're going to finally see the running game going a little bit more. I, you know, I need to see it to believe it. Uh, but they, I think Ty is kind of getting going now. So I, I, I do think we'll, we'll get to the score a little bit later on. But I'm, I'm, I'm sort of buying the Colts offense now. We've seen it enough to where you shouldn't be surprised when they go on these stretches where they score on four or five uh, possessions in a row. Yeah, I'm looking up Philip Rivers' game log right here, uh, right quick, just to see uh, how he's been since since that Browns game. Hang on, give me give me two seconds here. There it is. So, uh, yeah, since that Browns game, he has he had an interception against Cincinnati, but that was the huge second half comeback that they they did really well there. He has the interception against Baltimore that you don't think was an interception that right. I know was an interception, but that's okay. We, <laughs> we can look past that. Um, so he has a couple interceptions since then, but uh, let's see, one against Green Bay that didn't bite them too much. I think that was a, that was a long one, if I remember. Was that he, was kind of like... Three games with three touchdowns? Yeah, that was a three... 
three touchdowns. Sorry, hang on. I've got dang autoplay back here. Golly. Uh, I hope you guys couldn't hear that, but nevertheless. Uh, and then, then one against Tennessee. But, yeah, he has, since that game against Cleveland, yeah, he has a three-touchdown game against Cincinnati, one against Detroit, one against Green Bay, one against Houston. So Four, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he's – like there, there are games where he has been on, like on, on since then, and uh, certainly uh, going up against a, a Vegas, uh, Vegas defense that that has allowed more than their share of points this year. You would, you'd be expecting, uh, hopefully, something similar. And also on defense, their fifteen takeaways rank right about in the middle of the pack in the NFL. Um, and their second-year corner Trayvon Mullen is is uh, playing pretty well. He's uh, he's got two interceptions this year. He's a he's a reliable starter for sure. Um, but uh, but we'll see exactly how the Colts plan to plan to attack that Vegas defense um, when kickoff comes around on Sunday afternoon, a late afternoon kickoff, 4:05 p.m. As I mentioned, if you're in Central Indiana, that game will be broadcast on CBS4. So let's get to the keys to the game. Starting off, I think the first thing to do when you're attacking the the Raiders' offense is you need to stop the run, and we've seen this throughout the, their team this season, as we mentioned already. Uh, with uh, Josh Jacobs in, they're a more threatening offense, Joe. When he is on the field, it is really very much you can run and you can pass the ball if you're if you're John Gruden. But if he's out if he's out of the game, it, it has been uh, far far more difficult for the Raiders to to get that offense going. Oh yeah, I mean he's probably their second biggest playmaker behind Darren Waller, and you could even argue about that. I mean Waller's just spectacular player but Josh Jacobs is pretty darn good in his own right and the drop off from him to Booker is significant Booker like you said is better suited for that kind of uh to kind of spell Jacobs and get in there and just get five yards of carry but when you ask him to do it every play he's obviously not the same player there's a reason he's a backup so Josh Jacobs is probably a top 10 running back in the NFL and if they can get him back for this game uh that'll make a big difference and even even if Jacobs is back, I mean the key is uh, is in the trenches. And Mike, uh, we talked about this already. The Colts' defensive line, the Raiders' offensive line, kind of being that of being a strength on strength matchup. But um, if, if the Colts have since the Colts have DeForest Buckner back, uh, I, I'm sure they feel feel a whole lot better about their matchup with the Raiders, uh, both stopping the run and uh, also in getting pressure up the middle. Like you said, that's kind of what uh, what Derek Carr can struggle with throughout his career. Yeah, when you get Buckner back, and then again, sort of the forgotten guy, Danico Autry, he, he's sort of a little better than Jabal Shared, who I thought was really, really underappreciated. If they're playing their game, I really think the defense will do a good job against the run. If I had to say the one guy that I'd be most concerned about, it's Darren Waller. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to get 10 catches for 200 yards again, but he, he he's... He's such a matchup nightmare. Who do you put on him? Maybe this, if they can get Okariki back when you go, man, he's the guy. He's, he's 6'6", 255. So he's bigger than any linebacker you've got. And can you put a safety on him? Can you put, you can't put Kenny Moore on him. I mean, yeah. you just can't do that. Kenny wouldn't shy away, but yeah, you're probably well, right. So maybe Kari Willis, uh, but but if if you can just limit him from taking over a game, you know, prize of Josh Jacobs does that because of how good uh, this run this run defense goes against anybody except Derrick Henry. But you can't let the tight end go off and and dominate. This guy's the best tight end in the game, not named Kelsey. Yeah, Joe, more more on Waller. Uh, I I think Mike hit the nail on the head that Okariki is probably your best matchup if you're going one on one. I I doubt that they would move someone like Xavier Rhodes, albeit him being a pretty physical cornerback, to to guard a tight end. But uh, you certainly hope. I think if you're uh, Matt Eberflus and the Colts defensive coordinator that you have that you have Okariki or at the very least Kari Willis, who is also as we mentioned did not participate in practice on Wednesday. So one of those two, if not both of those injured guys you would very much like to have on Sunday specifically targeting or to keep targeting from Darren Waller. Oh, yeah. And, and the Colts linebacking core is actually pretty well equipped to guard tight ends because of all their speed that they have. But no one has the size that Waller has. So anyone you put on him, whether it's speed or size, he's, he's going to have some kind of advantage there. And I, I think he's going to get his catches. He's going to get some yards. You just got to kind of limit him. You, you can't let him go off for those massive plays. He's a huge red zone weapon. 
Um, so maybe give him a little extra attention in the red zone because aside from him, you know, who scares you in the red zone in the passing game? Agler, Renfro, they don't really have another big target like that. So especially in the red zone, the Colts are going to have to give him some extra attention. And I imagine that Kenny Moore will be on Hunter Renfro for most of the day. And uh, if we're talking, continuing about uh, keys to the game and specifically limiting the, uh, the Raiders passing attack, it would be just don't let anybody get behind you. Don't be the New York Jets and let stupid Henry Ruggs get behind you for a big play. Uh, Derek Carr has nine completions of 40-plus yards this year. He's going to try to beat you deep at some point in this game. Those nine completions rank fourth most in the NFL. The Raiders like to go deep. John Gruden likes to hit you long. It's going to be there, Mike. And, and if, um, if whoever the cornerback is lets somebody behind them deep, uh, those guys, Aguilar and Ruggs, have the speed to beat you, to catch it, and just to keep on running. Uh, so, so, like I said, don't, don't let anyone behind you. Don't give up the big, big play. I, I think if you had to pick one or the other, you would say, obviously, let them beat you underneath with Waller and Renfro and try to drive down the field for 10 plays and to give your defensive line 10 plays to keep running after Derek Carr rather than to let Aguilar or Ruggs beat you deep and just burn you for one play. Well, and, t- and taking the shots down the field, it also calls into the possibilities of, 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 of deep DPI. Yeah. You see, you know, you not only cover, but cover without being grabby. So that, that's what a, a deep passing does. It, it, it hits with big plays and occasionally you get the DPIs that are just as good as big plays. On the other side of the ball, it would be great to stay balanced on offense. Jonathan Taylor had a heck of a second half, really a heck of a fourth quarter, uh, the last time out for the Colts uh, in, in Houston. Um, so let him get out there. Let him run. Uh, see what he can do. Um, I'd love to see, Joe, some of that more, more in the first half, a little bit more from Jonathan Taylor. Maybe it's finally to bring back, establish the run game for, for one of our keys to the game, even though we, we abandoned it. Uh, sometime around week seven or week eight, once we uh, realized that this Colts team wasn't exactly what we were anticipating in the offseason. But based on what we've seen Jonathan Taylor do the past couple weeks, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can sneak it back in here. Like I said, a little bit lower in the, uh, in the keys to the game, but maybe it makes an appearance in keys to the game once again here. Yeah, if he keeps playing like he has the last couple of games against Houston and uh, Green Bay, I might have to break the hat back out to run the damn ball hat. There you but, go. Uh, I, I was kind of talking with Chapel on Monday. I was. My only explanation for why they don't use him more in the first half is they're trying to keep him as like the finisher at the end of the game, keep him a little fresh to just run over the defense when they're getting a little tired. But other than that, I can't really think of a good reason why they don't get him more involved earlier in the game because he's been playing well of late. They, 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 they've totally uh, befuddled me on how they're using Jonathan Taylor. I, if, if that was their objective, they win <laughs> because I don't get it. I, I understand keeping him fresh for the fourth quarter, but this is a guy that is used to carrying the load first quarter through the fourth quarter. I realize college is different from the pros, but for a running back, what he had three carries in the first half, I think it was three for 21 and 10 for 71. Uh, I, I would personally, I would love to see what it looked like as, as long as the game allows it and the passing game's working, give him 18, 22 carries, spread out over a game and just see what a game with Jonathan Taylor as your running back would do. Uh, I, I don't think we would be disappointed, but they, 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 they're working this running back by committee with, with Hines and, and Wilkins, and they're going to run this until hell freezes over. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to get my chance to see a game, a full game with Jonathan Taylor being the feature back. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. So much of what the Colts want to do on offense will absolutely hinge on who is going to line up at tackle. Is it going to be Anthony Costanzo? Is he able to come back? Uh, is it going to be uh, Chaz Green? Is it going to be Braden Smith? Is he able to, to fight through whatever is ailing him this week? So um, get some stability. Make a game plan. Whether you have to keep uh, Jack Doyle into block a little bit more often, well, you might have to do that, so be ready for that. Um, but certainly don't let anybody get after uh, Philip Rivers too much because you have a guy who's already not mobile with a toe injury that makes him even less mobile. So he's, uh, he, he's going to be a statue back there. Get the ball out quickly. Again, receivers need to get there, out, get out quickly. 
uh, guys need to catch the bo- those balls quickly and um, and uh, just make it kind of a, a quick hitting offense would be fantastic. Um, capitalize on your opportunities is always important. Scoring in the red zone, scoring touchdowns off turnovers. Um, uh, if you let the Raiders hang around, as we saw last week, one play can make a whole whole lot of difference, and the Raiders are one of the biggest big play teams uh, in the league. So so don't let them hang around. Um, Joe, anything else come to mind uh, when you're looking at this game? I think we've covered it pretty well. I think you gave us a pretty good pretty good list there, start to finish. Cover most things. Only thing I might add is see if you can keep he- T.Y. Hilton going. He definitely makes a difference when he is playing well. Either him or Michael Pittman Jr. When one of the two receivers step up, it makes a huge difference for this offense. Yeah, T.Y., Mike, I thought really injected some, some juice into the offense. We, we talk about Dar- uh, Darius Leonard uh, all the time about the uh, bringing the juice on defense, but uh, T.Y. can certainly have that uh, impact on the offense, and I think we, we saw a few of the effects of that last week in Houston. Yeah, we talked to T.Y. today, and I tell you, I came away more confused than before we talked to him because he talked about how in the offseason – it, it was mentioned to all the receivers and, and running backs that you may have to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of the team and buy into the team and all this. And T.Y. said, I'll do whatever they ask me. And then he said, but when I get my touches, I can dominate any game. So I, I think he's playing the team guy, but he also knows that when they get him the ball, it's just different. We, I, I just haven't seen – a T.Y. on the serious decline this year. When you watch him play, he's getting open. He's running crisp routes. His touches are down almost to a game, which doesn't sound like a lot until those two plays are maybe two catches for, you know, 35 yards. Uh, again, maybe they get Jonathan Taylor going now. Maybe they get Justin Houston really going now. And getting T.Y. going now would do wonders for this offense. So the Colts and Raiders will kick off at 4.05 p.m. Sunday afternoon in Las Vegas. It's time for predictions. FanDuel has the Colts at three-and-a-half-point favorites, and that would make the final score about 27-24, 27-23, with an over-under number at 50-and-a-half. So that's what uh, the pros think. Uh, I will start with my prediction. Joe will go to you. Mike will close things out with you. I think uh, the Raiders... The Raiders are so boomer bust on offense. They have games where they score 40. They have a game where they score 34. And then you have a game against Atlanta where you score six. Um, it is, uh, it's confusing. They have games where they beat the Chiefs. Then they almost beat the Chiefs the second time they play them. They beat the Browns. They hold the Browns to only six points. But then they should have lost to the Jets uh, the other week. So they're, they're a very confusing team. Um, but undoubtedly, they have tremendous potential. You look in, like I said, they, they beat the Chiefs and they beat the Browns. Uh, they have a team that has a ceiling that is incredibly high when they're all on the same page. I don't know right now that they're going to have Josh Jacobs this weekend, so I think that in part is playing into my prediction, but I think the Colts have the uh, upper hand going into this week, uh, this game. I will give the Colts a 31-24 advantage. I think it's going to be a pretty high scoring. I think the Raiders do get theirs, but at the same time, I don't think the Raiders' defense is going to be able to stop the Colts on offense, and the Horseshoes are able to get a road win and uh, get a little bit more secure in that wild card hunt while still, of course, keeping their eyes on the division crown and games against Houston and Jacksonville, two of the last three games of the year. Joe, what do you think? I'm similar with you. I think the Colts' offense is going to be able to put up points. They've been kind of putting it together of recently. Um, you mentioned T.Y. Hill getting it, T.Y. Hilton getting it going. Jonathan Taylor, Rivers is playing well. I think they're going to put up 34 points on this poor Ravens, uh, uh, Raiders. I'm sorry, defense. And I think the Raiders are going to put up 24. So they're going to be able to score a little bit. They do have some weapons, and their car is playing well when he doesn't fumble the ball. But it's not going to be enough against the Colts defense that's, you know, can play well in the second half. Mike Teo. I, I, I trust the Colts offense more and more. I don't trust them quite. I'm looking 26-23. And I tell you, since we've been I, – I, I've gone back and forth. I've got – I had the Raiders. I had the Colts. And I'm going to go 
because I do trust this offense. I don't think they're going to go out there and lay a Cleveland Browns egg like they did in week five. Uh, and I think this defense, a stat that just astounds me, it just astounds me, they've given up zero touchdowns in the last four games in the second half, the Colts have. They've given two, two second-half field goals in the last four games. I think they get their act together having both back is monster so I I, I I trust the team sort of on the rise take away the Tennessee game when the De- Buckner didn't play and I I just it looks to me like the Raiders might be might be fading just a little so I say 2623 uh Indy I know you, you, we always look back to that Browns game and say I don't think the offense is gonna lay another egg I I, I look back at that Browns game I always think that like, like to me, that, that's the outlier because Costanza was out, even though he's out right now, but Costanza was out and Miles Garrett was running after Phillip Rivers and he just didn't have any time that entire game. So uh, that, I, I, I don't know. I guess that's, that, that's how I view that game being, being the quote-unquote outlier uh, on offense. I don't think that uh, – it doesn't come into my mind at least too much. I, I understand that it's, that it's in some, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. I think it was definitely the worst game of the year, but there was a Probably. reason for it, like yeah. you said. Like this well, and, 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 being and, out. and that's why with the Tennessee game, 45-26, well, there was a reason for it. I hate right. to put it on one guy, but but when, when DeForest Buckner's not in there and Henry runs for 140 yards in the first half, it was rather obvious what was going on. So that's why I say, I think Costanzo back, who's my most irreplaceable player, and Buckner's going to be you know chomping again. And he's probably number two or number three on the list. So I just like I just don't think this team's going to lay an egg in December. I just don't think they will. We do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Please subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device week after week. I am Dave Griffiths. You can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chapel is at mchapel51. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. And as always, you can follow all of us on at Colts Blue Zone. We thank you for listening to the Blue Zone Podcast. We will see you next time.